on the Empire Podcast this week, we have the greatest Taylor Joy since the 1985 World Snooker Championship final. And yes, I've used that line before, but I don't care because Anya Taylor Joy, star of Split and the Witch, is in the pop booth this week to talk about her new film, Thoroughbreds. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that ate a bag of crisps during the screening of A Quiet Place. And let me tell you, those things just don't mix. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this week's Very Quiet Place. It is the Empire Podcast. <clears throat> it's the Empire Podcast, which this week, and indeed every week for the next couple of months, is brought to you by those wonderful, lovable coves at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Uh, later in the show, I'll be pointing out a couple of movies you can watch on Sky Cinema this week. Uh, just two movies from the Array over a thousand movies are available on demand on Sky Cinema, including a brand new premiere every day, every single day of the week on Sky Cinema. How exciting! This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. One is uh, one of the most learned people I know. He is an extraordinary, he's an extraordinary vessel of knowledge about the big screen the small screen but not just that he is someone that I turn to for advice he is someone I turn to for guidance he is someone I turn to for for just something a, a kernel of warmth in the cold bitter darkness that is life he is of course Ben Travis how are you Ben? Yeah I'm really good thank you it's really good to be back on the podcast it's lovely to be here Oh it's delight- I mean, what a pleasure it is to have you here Ben and uh, James Dyer is also here hey James Hello Chris How are you? Yeah do you like a big build-up? I did. Like I enjoyed yeah. basking in the warm glow of your love. Is is a joy. You could to see me. where that was going about I, ten seconds in, didn't yes, you? <laughs> yeah. Oh well. It's, well, it's a pleasure to have you both on board, and uh, you're here to talk about all sorts of things this week. Obviously, you were here to talk about the, the the big screen, but but Jimbo's first love is probably the small screen. Uh, he would probably be the first to admit that uh, he loves a good old television, and uh, you're here to talk about pilot TV, which is. Uh, our new sister magazine. It is. Do you want to talk about it now? Should we talk about it now? Should we talk about it now? Should we get, about it? get yeah, it out of the way? You mean, you mean start with the main event? Uh, yeah, you can bang on about your little fanzine for <laughs> three minutes and 37 seconds. Three minutes and 37 seconds. Wow. Okay, let's do it. Uh, yes. <laughs> so in- what, what is it? It's the inaugural issue of Pilot TV. A pilot issue, if you will. Jesus Christ! Do it. That's that's I, television parlance, Chris. For like a first <laughs> for a first episode, you're probably not familiar with it. I have it in my hands right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels very thick and, and uh, glossy. It's yeah. oh so glossy. It's it, it actually feels really good. Let me just We're talking about pilot, right? Yes, we are. What have we got in this issue? I sense that this is going to be a very mucky episode of the Empire Podcast. Let's not get it off to a bad start. Okay, unbelievable. Get it off. Oh, come on, Ben. No, don't come on, Ben. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't. Hashtag, where is Helen? Hashtag, cats away. Where is Helen, by the way? She's on, I want to say, she's out the country. I don't know if it's a holiday or a a visit. She's in Los Angeles, isn't she? Yeah. I think so. For the life of me, I don't know why. Holiday. You think? Yeah. Who goes on to LA on holiday, honestly? What idiot would go to LA on yeah. holiday? What's what complete like, like Nick like, DeSemlin? Like Nick DeSemlin, who is, as we speak, basking in the LA sun. What a fool. Mm. But we've got a bit of sun outside. Anyway, Pilot yes. TV, quickly Pilot tell TV, me about yes. it. Yes, loads of stuff in, the, in our inaugural issue, which has Marvel's Luke Cage on the cover, as well as uh, Westworld, The Hammer's Tale, and a little show by Aaron Sorkin, which you may or may not have heard of, called 
the West Wing. <laughs> so, so the the idea behind the magazine yes. is to to do to TV, yes, to cinematic TV. Yes. This is a very important distinction. What Empire does for film, and this in this very issue, we've given the Clone Wars five stars. So you know, we are, <laughs> we like to be consistent. Have we? <laughs> no, but we do have a lovely interview with Dave Filoni celebrating 10 years of the Clone Wars and talking about the end of Star Wars Rebels. So, kind of. I do like Dave Filoni. Yeah, he's, he's got great good. taste in hats. Have we ever had him on the podcast? We should get him on the podcast. No, well, we did him We did him at uh, Celebration, didn't we? But I don't think did. it was on the pod. Uh, no, we that was a, just a kind of one-off. Yeah, we did a Facebook Live interview with did him. Did I do that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love Dave Filoni. Don't remember meeting him, but I'm sure he's I know, great. I know I've met Dave Filoni, but I can't remember whether I did that. I've met him, but... I think you did. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was you. You know when you meet uh, movie stars and you met them before <laughs> and you think that they remember you and then you can clearly see in their eyes that they don't remember but you? But really, it's the opposite. They all remember you and you've no idea whether you've met them before. <laughs> Uh, Amazing. We've got sidetracked again. Pilot Um, TV is a wonderful (laughs) magazine that aims to do for the small screen what Empire does for the big. Literally that. Okay. Literally that. And there's loads of great stuff inside the issue. We have looked at television (laughs) through an Empire lens, if you will. Uh, And there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue. Uh, Starting with our wonderful opening spread, Best in Shows. This is where we get a panel of TV insiders, including myself, uh, Boyd, Terry, Russell T. Davis is on there, Noel Clark, Mark Gatiss. Noel Clark. Noel Clark extraordinary crevice pun uh, which I, I highly recommend in buying the magazine really just for that um, Kate Rather's in there Russell Tovey's in there and basically we're all rounding up the top 10 things you need to see this month and that opens the issue that's really good right and away yet, you've got me there's so much more to come we have a whole section on what's coming out over the next four weeks from the mm-hmm. Alienist to Deep State uh, New Shows of Bosch The Terror Ridley Scott's one mm-hmm. uh, The Rain which is the sort of Scandi Apocalypse TV show Woman in White, uh, the new season of The Handmaid's Tale, which is starting. Uh, we have a de- de- debate on whether the Fear the Walking Dead is great or, well, let's be honest, utter shit. Uh, it comes I, to the, chase with the, the question is literally, is, the wa- is Fear the Walking yeah. Dead any good? Well, which is a question I think people have been asking for the last several years. So yeah. it's good to have some It's a complicated answers. question with a complicated answer. Well, this goes back to there's a classic Empire question that they actually put in the cover, which was Oliver Stone, genius or goat? I remember and, that. Uh, of course, nowadays, that would mean... Is he genius or is he the greatest of all time? But back then they actually meant, no, is he a goat? Physically a goat. Is he yeah. physically a is he? Does he have the mental capacity of a goat? Uh, I think they came out in the genius uh, end of that. I think so. Yeah. We but, asked an awful lot of film stars, as I recall, to answer that particular question. Anyway, well, we've got sidetracked again. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, I think we've done enough of the hard sell. I think people will either, uh, decide... But I'm flicking through this right now and it looks, it's colourful, it's bright... Uh, it has loads of great access. We have I mean, big spoke- features on Luke Cage, yep. uh, uh, Westworld, uh, New Lost in Space on Netflix. We have a lovely 10 or 12 page glorious masturbatory feature on the West Wing, written oh. by yours truly. Uh, we have a 2018 TV preview, which is every TV show you pretty much have to watch this year. And of course we have a big section at the back, which I did, called The Box, uh, which is celebrating the great shows of your of your yes (laughs) your great shows of your if you like yeah Uh, from Breaking Bad to Friends The Sopranos is in there as I said Clone Wars is in there the geekiest thing in the whole issue and my favourite thing is uh, this map of Lost which I think I mentioned last week cartographic map of the Lost Mm -hmm. Island which is nerdsome to a level that really nothing I've ever done has been Uh, alright where can people get this issue zero and I imagine issue zero because the first issue of Pilot will be the one that has the MasterChef oral history written by me and the Columbo uh, oral history written by me and the Masters of the Professionals 
oral history written by me and Criminal Minds yes. up to season 12 when Hodge left. Yes. Oral so history. The, the tagline for Pilot TV is because you can't watch everything. Rejected was all the TV shows that Chris wouldn't watch and none of the TV shows that he does. <laughs> so no billions then? No. No Better Call Saul? No. Fuck you. <laughs> So yes, it's good. Uh, you can where can where can you pick it up? Lots and lots and lots of places. I've been the reason I was late to this particular podcast. Except people, you weren't. Except I won't. Yeah, except I wasn't because I was here at the, the beginning. Yeah. But you recorded the reviews first, and I wasn't here for the reviews. So the reason I was late is because I was trying to get a map working, which shows you where you can buy the issue. Yeah. Except that you speak in the reviews section. So. <laughs> But only at the end when I've arrived. This it's is very like a, complicated. It's a Back to the Future style <laughs> yeah. paradox. Yeah. Shenanigans yeah. Yeah. We've gone full Pulp Fiction. If only we had an almanac of everywhere you could buy the issue. Yes, that's good. Solid. Right. And if you can't find it in a newsagent, if you go to pilottvmag.com, you can buy it online. So there we go. That is big sell over. It is time now for this week's question, which comes via email from Hugh Langridge. Uh, but he helpfully gives his Twitter handle at... Hugh Langridge, uh, just in case you want to look him up on the Twitter machines as well. And uh, he says, if I hold my phone or tablet up in front of my face at the right distance, the screen is the same size as my 49-inch TV, which sits on the other side of my living room. When I watched Annihilation on said TV, I pulled the sofa right forward and the TV was the size of a cinema screen. No, it wasn't. Uh, can, I mean, this isn't a cows are small, far away situation. It just, it just isn't. Uh, you can even stick some cut-out silhouettes of uh, head shapes to the bottom of the screen to complete the effect. I didn't do that. With these perception hacks, why does the awesome annihilation need to be seen in a cinema? In other words, what is it about seeing any film on a big screen when, from a perspective point of view, you can get a big screen in your home? I mean, I think it says a lot that he had to um, pull his sofa right up to the TV to get that full blast of annihilation. Because when we talked about it on the podcast, that was something I felt that I, I found myself leaning into it because of the because of the way it was shot. That like the characters are dwarfed by these like big crazy environments when they're in the shimmer, and it felt like that was for for the big screen because you'd be able to see a lot more in the images compared to a TV. I don't know. I can only afford a forty two inch TV, so oh, um, how sweet. The cinema is still definitely like the one for me. There are def there are sorts of films as well. Anything like big and blockbustery, um, especially like horror films, where you want to see it with an audience. Like if you see the right film with the right audience, it can really, really make it for you. Yeah, I I would love to see a quiet place with as many people as possible. I saw it the other night uh, with about fifteen people in the audience. It was a preview. I don't think many people knew it was on. It wasn't very widely publicised. But this was a pain preview, so this was members of the public. And even that was an incredible experience because about five, ten minutes in, as I mentioned at the intro, I was eating a bag of crisps really noisily and then I suddenly realised this is not the film to eat crisps <laughs> in. Uh, so I had to just kind of stop and go, okay. Uh, and every move, every, you become aware of every sound. You pick up your drink and the ice cubes clink in the glass. Uh, but also, it's an incredibly scary film, and so you could feel people. There was one idiot who was just doing a running commentary, literally. You know, you know these people mm-hmm. you hear about you talk about the screen. It goes, oh no, 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 no. Oh Jesus, Jesus, don't do no, that. don't go in there, don't go in there, don't go in there. And then I realised it was me. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I really want to see that film with a full screening, like a full cinema, hundred people, hundred and fifty people, all losing their shit, all shrieking at the right moment. That is, that would be perfect, as opposed to watching it for the first time on your TV screen, which uh, my TV screen is about eight feet away from my sofa, and it just wouldn't be the same. Like I watched Annihilation on my sofa, 
and it's absolutely not the same as watching it in a in a in a big screen surrounded by sound surrounded by the darkness surrounded by that blackness which would really work for something like Annihilation which has some terrifying sequences I just think there's something about the immersiveness of that and something about the communal nature of cinema going that I think we it's so important I think we should fight to retain like when I think about some of my favourite cinematic experiences of the last few years like um, or some of my favourite cinema experiences ever like it is being seeing something on the big screen, having that experience where you're immersed and you're not distracted by anyone else, and being there with with the right people. Like I saw Evil Dead Two for the first time at three o'clock in the morning in a cinema all nighter, and it was the most fun I've ever had in a cinema. It was amazing. And then on the opposite end of the scale, still horror wise, but like the film that sticks with me most um, from the last couple of years is The Witch, Robert Eggers' The Witch, and that was a film that was a re- relatively busy audience. Everyone was so, so quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. Even at the end, everyone just kind of sat in their seats, stunned mm. for a few minutes at the end. But everyone in that room was in the same emotional place, feeling the same things. And that added even more to what is already an incredible film for me. Uh, I have a TV bigger than both of yours combined <laughs> and a Dolby Atmos sound system. And yet, I do agree with you, even when watching wonderful TV shows, I do think sometimes the experience is added to by being in a cinema. And I think it's twofold. It's what you've already said. I think especially for horror, especially for comedy, communal, it's a communal experience and that adds to the enjoyment of the film. Weirdly, I don't think it matters who you go with. Go with absolutely no one. It's just being in a room full of people reacting to the laughs or the scares in the same way that you are. Horror in particular, it's very cathartic, that kind of group, you know, just after a scare, that moment where you're just like, oh, oh, and you're kind of, everyone's kind of in the same boat kind of recovering from it. It's a great experience. But more than that, I think, it's the lack of distraction where you're able to project yourself into the narrative in a way I don't think you can at home, no matter how big your TV, uh, because it's all consuming. There's no other stimulus. There's no other light. There's nothing else you can see. The only thing mm. in your existence is that screen. And importantly, you can't pause it. You can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. You can't turn the sound down. There is, you're completely, it is out of your control. You're at the mercy happening. of the film. You are at the mercy of the film. You surrender to the film. And I think that is a very, it's a very, particular way of enjoying something as well you mentioned you've got a uh, dolby atmos system like the thing that i know is more than anything now especially when you go to a really good imax screening is the sound mm. makes such a big difference i mean you can't yeah. replicate that. it's incredible no um, not even at home with i mean mine is nothing like a cinema setup yeah. obviously uh but some of the some of the sounds but then equally pick and choose your cinema because mm-hmm. some sound systems in particular are quite poor mm-hmm. uh, and i remember the best thing i remember james cameron came in at the empire lesser square and he was showing avatar and so he had all he uh, he had THX guys and guys from Lightstorm come in and spent two days configuring the audio in that cinema and fuck me it sounded great after that. yeah the, the audio in there that's yeah. my kind of favourite place to see films in, in London I think or anything on that big scale mm. um, that Leicester Square IMAX very very good stuff so yes love cinemas obviously TV is great as you'll mm-hmm. find out about in Pilot <laughs> TV the magazine but the cinema is awesome that's definitively decided then cinema is great well done cinema <laughs> Uh, you will be getting your award in the post. If you want to have your question read out at the Empire Podcast, as Hugh Langridge did, then you can do so via a number of methods. We are on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We are also on Facebook. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. And so let's now talk about this week's movie news. What has been happening? Uh, so Colin Trevorrow is going to direct Jurassic World 3. He's returning behind the camera for the for the 
mm-hmm. final part of uh, the trilogy. I think they've been pretty outspoken about this from the beginning, being like its own, uh, yeah, its own trilogy of films. So it's interesting to see him coming back. Uh, obviously, J.A. Biona is directing uh, Fallen Kingdom, which is coming out this summer, uh, the second part in the trilogy. But it seems like um, Trevor has been pretty hands-on with that all the way through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, this is his first big job after uh, everything that happened over the last year where um, he was removed from Star Wars Episode Nine, and obviously the, the Book of Henry came out and wasn't warmly received at all and uh he got a bit of a kicking um in, mm. in the press and kind of uh, in on social media and stuff for that but i i'm rooting for him with this i really like jurassic world I you and i are, are in a dwindling band i don't love jurassic world but i certainly don't hate it no. i just I, don't think it's as good as jurassic park and i, I think that, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> what a hill to die on there yeah. <laughs> yeah i know i'm out i'm out on a limb i know i know <laughs> So, just to be clear, so Fallen Kingdom is dinosaurs with a volcano. Is this going to be like dinosaurs in a hurricane? (laughs) Hurricane Park. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. Hurricane Heistosaurus. (laughs) I I, I know that people were up in arms about this. I I think it's a perfectly natural progression, and we shall see how it happens. I like Jurassic World. I don't get what people hate about that Mm -hmm. film. It's a perfectly serviceable blockbuster. It is the best of the Jurassic Park sequels. There you go. I said it. Come on me, bro, Hmm. but don't at me. I think I've nailed those two memes yeah. together. Well, the kids, yeah. You sound yeah. like one of the youths. Have you got any news? Do I have uh, any news at all? No, honestly, I've not really... I've been in TV land. I'm sure there's some TV news, I can tell you. Do you want me to, um, to stall? I've got more news. What have you got? Um, Hit me with some news that we can jump in at. So, uh, sounds like Kate McKinnon has signed on for uh, Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis's upcoming mystery project, uh, which, uh, so it seems like before, if, if this whole... Danny Boyle doing Bond thing happens before he does that uh, he's been working on uh, this project with Richard Curtis which I don't know where I came across this this is pure rumour and scuttlebutt but I heard somewhere that this was going to be some kind of um, like Beatles musical yes which would be very intriguing those guys, um, what do they ever do that's worth humming? I, I just couldn't sing you any of their songs right now. I mean, they weren't really good at crafting earworms. No, no, they just didn't have the knack, you know, of of the knack uh, with my Sharona. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I think it's worth pointing out I've had yeah. two hours sleep. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Why? Where, 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 where I, have I you been? I was uh, gallivanting in, uh-huh. uh, in Toronto. Can you say why? Uh, I don't know. Can I say why? Probably not. You were on a not. film set? I was on a film set doing That's exciting. Which was exciting. Oh, that's very good. Um, so I've had two hours sleep on a plane and then come straight into the office and then straight into the pod booth, which is why more than usual, nothing I say is making sense today. No, that's good. That's um, good. I've enjoyed your, your Chaz ramblings. Thanks. It's been, it's yeah, been good. The Chaz stylings. Yeah. Been, maybe if I do some freeform ramblings good enough, uh, Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis might make a film about it at some point. Uh, we, we, we can only hope we can only hope uh, we should talk about Bill and Ted 3 which uh, everyone seems to be very very excited about uh, this will be called they've announced some more details because uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter were reunited by uh, a magazine or, I'm not sure if we can mention them but they cover entertainment on a weekly basis mm. ew <laughs> it is, of course, Entertainment Weekly. They reunited uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves uh, this week as part of their re- reunion, can't even say it, reunion issue, which led with Dawson's Creek on the front cover, of course. Uh, but inside, Bill and Ted faced the music, which is apt because that is going to be the title of Bill and Ted 3, which has been trailed for years and years and years, but it looks like it may actually happen. Uh, it's going to be called Bill and Ted to face the music, and they're going to be 
going through their old lives and Bill Sadler's going to be coming back as death uh, and Dean Pariso, who directed Galaxy Quest, is going to direct and Steven Soderbergh's going to produce, which means it'll probably be shot in three, three days on an iPhone. So I'm very, very, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I don't love Bill and Ted the way a lot of people do, but I really, really like uh, Bogus Journey. Not so much Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm not sure there's necessarily a huge younger audience for this, but we'll see. Um, i got some news for you. Oh, bloody hell. Revenge of the Sith is terrible. Oh. I thought you said you had news. I, breaking, is, no, breaking news this, from James Dyer. This is news. This is news pulse. coming from me. Uh, my rewatch of the prequel trilogy is now complete, as is The Circle. And I've turned to the dark side, and frankly, Christ. I mean, Ben, you were trying to tell me this last yeah. week, so you're gloating here. But I, I would say now... Attack of the Clones is without doubt the worst of the three. Oh. And, no, it is. No, no, no. And it's no, a no, toss up no. between no. Sith mm. and Menace. Because they like Menace is a better film in that it's better structured. Um, Sith gets a free pass because so much happens in it. Yeah, but it's got everything all the that, happens that happens in it is terrible. Yeah, they do it in such a way. <laughs> it's bad just way. so badly done. It's got all it's, the stuff that happens. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. No, it's got the, the stuff that people remember about the, uh, the, pod, the, the podcast flipping out. But the things that people remember about the prequel trilogy. So now I know you've had two hours sleep. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast. It makes sense. The podcast trilogy. What's my excuse? <laughs> um, yeah, the prequels, like the, all the stuff that people remember is, is from is from Sith because yeah. like the first two, they're not that necessary in terms of like getting to the Vader yeah. and all that kind of stuff. The execution of so much of that stuff, it's almost enough to make you lie back and give up on life <laughs> with yes <laughs> yes it is without any kind of medical live. explanation <laughs> uh, honestly that whole film is summed up by the bit during the fight on Mustafar when Obi-Wan and Anakin are going at each other's with lightsabers and at one point pause for a good ten seconds to just twirl their lightsabers <laughs> around while standing about three feet apart and not hitting each other and I'm like this is the film in a nutshell it's just showy offy stuff for the sake of it without actually doing anything to Decent. And even Order 66, which is actually actually quite nice shot, that's a nice moment, it still, it still doesn't save it. It's full of people who are ostensibly talking to each other in a room, but neither of them are in the same rooms or actually talking to each other. Mm. And it, I mean, it shows. And I think, and George's obsession with CGI is just apparent there, because there's almost no, I mean, at least they went to Italy in Attack of the Clones, there's almost <laughs> nothing in Sith. It's like the whole thing is green screened. It's basically 300. And uh, I just, yeah, just, and the dialogue is some of the worst. Ever. The exchange between Anakin and Padme on the balcony, when she asks why he's looking at her, and he goes, because you're so beautiful. And she goes, that's because I love you. And he goes, no, no, it's because I love you. And like George <laughs> Lucas must have written that and gone, yep, nailed it. <laughs> it is the worst exchange in the history of speaking. How does that compare to the sand monologue? The sand <laughs> monologue, yes, I love it. I hate sand. It gets everywhere. Sorry, we could Sorry. go on for hours and hours and hours, but we, bo- we won't. I- Suffice it to say... Well, that was the news section, uh, the 2005 news section of the Empire Podcast. Thanks for that, James. Um, why, why, why are you here? <laughs> you know what? Yeah. It's hard to say. I know no news. I've seen none of the films. And, you know, I'm really just here for the lols. Yeah. Very quickly, Adam Sandler has joined a new movie by the Safdie brothers called Uncut Gems. Uh, Sazy Beats, who is going to be seen soon as Domino in Deadpool 2, has got two new films on the go, including joining Natalie Portman in Pale Blue Dot and Kristen Stewart in Against All Enemies. Uh, production began this week on Creed 2, a movie that 
thrills and excites me and terrifies me in equal measure because I just desperately do not want it to be shit. So fingers crossed. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try this weekend to watch Legends of Tomorrow because it sounds absolutely batshit insane, as evidenced by the uh, the episode people told me about yesterday on Twitter, in which a talking gorilla goes travels back in time to 1979 and tries to assassinate Barack Obama. Uh, and apparently there's another episode where they go back in time and try and persuade George Lucas to make Star Wars. So this sounds like a show that is right up my alley. So there we go. That is the news section. Okay, now it is time for a word from our sponsors. Uh, because as you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home whenever and wherever you want. You can watch them on your tablet, if you so desire, on a train, on a plane, in the toilet of a plane, whatever you want to do. And you can watch it in the best possible way. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now, and I love the choice they offer. Uh, over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me to enjoy whenever I want. And does that include Marvel movies? Yeah, damn betcha. Uh, so my first recommendation to watch this week is Spider-Man Homecoming, the triumphant return of Spider-Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, played by Tom Holland, uh, young Peter Parker, full of brio and vim and figure, taking on Michael Keaton's The Fulture. Uh, absolutely hands down one of the best Spider-Man movies, one of the best Marvel movies. It is a whole ton of fun and very, very funny indeed. And it is great to see Spidey back where he belongs, swinging, but not in that way. That would be weird. Uh, with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, that would be really weird. Actually, now the more I think about that, that'd be that'd be that. Yeah, forget that. Forget I said that. But anyway, Spider-Man: Homecoming, it's good stuff. Uh, and also, Sky Cinema brackets movies into collections, and right now you can immerse yourself in the horror heaven that is the Monster Collection. From tons of Friday the Thirteenth movies to Tremors, there is something for every kind of horror fan. Uh, and my big old recommendation this week is one of the greatest films ever made or ever remade it is John Carpenter's The Thing Kurt Russell and a bunch of blokes with big old beards battling a shape-shifting alien in a frozen Antarctic research station it is absolutely incredible it is a horror movie that does so much more than jump scares uh, but when it does do a jump scare which is very very rare actually in The Thing it does them so damn well it is bleak it is nihilistic it is dark as hell it has one of the greatest endings of all time and it has Kurt Russell as R.J. Mother Effa McCready, what more could you possibly want from a movie? Right, those are my two recommendations this week for things you can watch on Sky Cinema. And join me next week, of course, for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Time now for this week's guest. She is one of our favourite and fastest rising young actresses. She was last on the podcast to talk about her breakthrough role in Robert Eggers' The Witch. That was a couple of years ago. Since then, she has gone stratospheric, stratospheric, I say, uh, with roles in the likes of M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Morgan, and now this week's very dark comedy drama, Thoroughbreds. Uh, she'll soon be seen in the likes of Glass, the sequel to Split, and eventually The New Mutants, which will be out now next year. She is, of course, Anya Taylor-Joy. I had a lot of fun with her when she came into the Empire offices. Yes, because we had a studio snafu, she actually came up to Camden to the Empire offices into a meeting room, which is why the sound may not be that great. It's pretty good. It's, it's good. It's fine. It's decent. But it's not a studio sound. So there will be some echo because we were in a glass meeting room with everyone gawking at us as we spoke about thoroughbreds, working with night and life as a new mutant. So here we go. Me talking to Anya Taylor-Joy. Do please. <laughs> Enjoy. 
Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Anya Taylor-Joy, star of Thoroughbreds. Welcome back to the Empire Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is a slightly weird uh, place that we're doing it in today. <laughs> we're doing this in a sort of a, in a meeting room down at the ground floor of, of Empire. So I feel like everyone can watch us. I think so too. But looking around, nobody is. So yes. that's probably a good thing. <laughs> they haven't noticed yet. This no. isn't being broadcast live. I think the last time you were on the Empire Podcast, you were about to go film Barry. Yes. So yeah. give you an idea of the time scale of wow. where things were in your career. So, Life is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So what's changed since then? Because this movie came for, came up for you just after Barry, isn't that right? Literally a day yeah. afterwards. Um, I was I went from New York to Boston to shoot Thoroughbreds and two very different characters. Uh, so that was a trip. Lots has changed. I've been very lucky to continue to work with really awesome people. Mm-hmm. Um I'm getting a bit more comfortable in my new life, I think, is, is an is a, is a okay thing to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just, it's weird because I've been living with these characters for such a long time because I shot them back to back that the idea that other people can now see them and meet them and, and be in that world is, is sort of surreal. Yes. Okay. So uh, when you say comfortable, are you uncomfortable? Were you uncomfortable previously with, with acting or with, with the idea, I guess, of being known in a, in a way or way? Never so, with acting. Okay. Never. Acting is my safe space. Set is my happy place. Um, But definitely the the press side of things, the being Mm -hmm. more visible wasn't something that I had prepared for. Um, Uh And kind of with The Witch and Split, I went through sort of like a baptism of fire. Now I'm just like, oh, it's okay. Like, not, not to 60. It's okay. <laughs> Intense. I'm just, I'm just a bit more used to it now, I think. Okay. Okay. So was it, it was, I guess it would be weird. I guess it would be uncomfortable. Well, it's Suddenly just... people say you recognize you in the street and... Completely. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, the, the actual act of making a film is so intimate and it's with yeah. a set group of people that you see every single day and, you know, if you're making dark movies, see you do some extraordinary stuff and, and support you in, in that element. And all of a sudden, this baby that you've made with all of you know these very specific people suddenly doesn't belong to you in, anymore. It belongs to yeah. the world, and yeah. uh, and that I think I had a, a, an interesting time wrapping my head around it. But now I'm just very chill. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. When was the last time you were recognised? Um, the airport, and I had been watching Coco on the plane, and I was hysterically crying. And this woman came up to me and was like, "Oh my God, are you Annie Taylor Joy?" And I was just like, "No, please, not not now, <laughs> not this night." She was like, "Are you all right?" And I was too embarrassed to say I was watching Coco, and I was hysterically crying. That's fine. It's okay. She'd, she'd understand. Pixar. She was very nice about it. <laughs> yeah. Pixar has that effect on people. Completely. Yeah, okay, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned their dark material, and I think you are, so far, most of the movies you've made have been really dark. Thoroughbreds is dark, Split, The Witch, obviously. Barry, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else, is, is that re- reflective of your personality? Clearly it is. You're very morose and Oh, and completely. Solid. Yeah, I'm, I'm always sad. <laughs> uh, no, I am... Um, it's weird. I, I never made the conscious decision to go after dark work. It just so happens that the characters that spoke to me and that kind of presented themselves to me in my life lived in very dark worlds. Um, I will say it's really fun to shoot horror movies. Uh, the sets are usually very warm, inclusive, supportive places. Okay, and okay. You, you tend to have a lot of fun just because your actual day job is being so dark that you, you need that alleviation. Um, yeah. But no, I, I never made the conscious choice. I am very interested in dark materials, but uh, so I keep thinking of Philip Pullman like every time I say that, I'm just <laughs> like, it's dark say, materials. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, 
I, it just so happens that it's the way that it's been. Okay. This is not something you grew up watching, is it? No. Um, no. I, I used to be really, really scared of horror movies, and it's only now that, you know, I, I've had this incredible introduction to them that I really enjoy them and I have fun with it. But uh, no, okay. when I was younger, I was terrified. <laughs> My imagination is too overactive, man. I'd never leave. Uh, but Thoroughbreds, was this, you said this was a movie that, that, that spoke to you. In what, in what way? What was it about this movie that, that grabbed you? I'd always wanted, you know, I, I say that I never kind of like went after any film specifically, but I did know... Um, I used to, I loved Heathers. Like, I I don't think there's a direct correlation between Heathers and Thoroughbreds. I think it definitely fits within, sorry, within the same subgenre of, like, teenagers being very morose and kind of doing outlandish things. But I Mm. I always loved the idea of a female-led movie that was based in dialogue and how they would usurp each other through that. And when I read Thoroughbred, it just felt like... It was the exact movie of my dreams. It was weird. It was very dark, but the dialogue was so witty and on top of each other. And it was two female leads um, and two young female leads. And I was just so enveloped in the world of Amanda and Lily from the second that I read it, that it's basically the only script that I instantly called up my agent and said, I need to meet this man. Like, I have to make (laughs) this movie. And when I first met Corey... um, he didn't, we, we had like a really nice conversation. Sorry, Corey's uh, the director. Yes, um, and, and Corey and I had like a really nice conversation. We really got on. But when it, when our meeting finished, he said, um, it'll be really nice to work with you someday. And my first thought was someday. No, this day, this character, <laughs> this movie. And I just, and he's sort of, I've made fun of him about it for, for quite a while because he's like, I didn't mean to be mean. Like I already had the job, like you already had the job. I just, it was my first movie too. Like I didn't know if I was allowed to give you the yeah, role. Yeah, 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 true, um, true. But luckily he didn't make me wait that long. Like I was desperate to play Lily. How long? Um, like a week, which to me felt like an eternity, but to him, I think felt like an appropriate amount of time. So you finally get the call or an email or a text or... I got a call and I was, because we were shooting Barry, I was in Devin Terrell's uh, apartment and I think I screamed louder than I've ever (laughs) (laughs) screamed since or before. (laughs) I read about this film in some, some background reading that you arrived on this two days, you had two days between... Correct me if I'm wrong here, between Barry and Thoroughbreds. Yeah. And you had two days to kind of forge chemistry, if you will, with Olivia Cook. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot of time. No, but it, it bizarrely worked because we shot this in four weeks. Um, we lived wow. in this little wow. um, hotel, literally a three-minute walk away from the house where we basically shot... 97% of the movie so we were on top of each other all the time and what really helped and what was an interesting way of going about the sort of rehearsal spirit, uh, period so to speak was that these characters are estranged they yeah, haven't yeah, yeah. Yeah. seen each other for a long time and so rather than actually going through the scenes with Olivia we kind of came up with our collective backstory of how we had been friends when we were younger oh, okay. and the yeah. sort of experiences that we went through together And then the day before we started filming, Olivia and I had a really nice kind of evening of just her being Liv and me being Anya, because we both knew that this script was so intense and the time period was so short that we just had to 
do it um, and kind of get our get our heads in the game. So it was it was nice to sort of meet each other before we met each other with these characters. Okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, did you did you form a little support group in terms of the of the accent? I think we both just enjoyed it so yeah. much because there's a, a level of apathy that you can put into um, you, you know the way that both of us are speaking with this Connecticut American accent. That's just really yeah. fun to play with. So we didn't. Um, both of us are people that uh, that kind of snap in and out of it, you know, in between setups. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's otherwise your tongue gets really tired. I know that sounds silly, <laughs> but you're just consistently thinking about the way that you sound. Um, so yeah, I think I think we definitely had camaraderie in that, and we we definitely had inside jokes because of that. Okay, was it easy to pick up? Yes, uh, my first language is Spanish, and yes. so I, I mimic. I think we talked about this the last yes. time. I mimic in English, and so. Yeah. Um, I think what was tricky about that was that we were filming in Boston and the Boston accent is quite intense. And so I had yeah. to really kind of keep an ear out in a sense. To of, keep that out of the yeah, just and all exactly. That, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Not, it, it wasn't a Boston movie. I had to, I had to keep it in Connecticut. <laughs> she could have spent time in Boston. Mm, potentially. It's, it's entirely plausible. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe a summer. Yeah, maybe, you know, <laughs> some, some Harvard camp or something. Lily would definitely go to that. Is it a very, is it very specific uh, Connecticut? I don't really think of something too. I think, I think what it was about these two characters is their affluence, their affluence, Apathy mm. and the sort of boredom that comes along with being in a gilded cage. So I think what, what was interesting about both of our voices in it is, and hopefully you can see this in the movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, this was the intention. I don't know. Uh, but I, um, I definitely tried to, for me, it was more about tone of voice rather than... Yes. Specific, uh, the specifics of the accent. It was, yes. you know, Lily starts off trying to be very prim and proper and her voice is, you know, higher and it's really positive. And then as the movie goes along, she starts to match Amanda in the same level of just yeah, like yeah, really yeah. not yeah. caring. Yeah. Um, so that was that was good fun. <laughs> Hopefully um, someone will actually see that in the movie. And it's not just like my own little like actor trip <laughs> that I'm going on. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have to ask about James McAvoy and Split because... I think if he'd kept up in, uh, in character, Oof. that would have been a really intense, intense movie you know, to make. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and I actually, that's something that I really love about my chemistry with James is that we both are very, um, we're very focused, but we're focused, you know, maybe right before action and cut because in those scenes and especially with the relationship that both of our characters have or, you know, his multiple characters and, and, and my character have, is so strange and yeah. intense and bizarre that we really had to be normal people. You know, we weren't <laughs> doing the doing the scenes. We we had sure. to take care of each other emotionally because that's the other thing. You're. It, it sounds crazy, but you are inhabiting these very dark worlds for yeah, a very long amount of time. So if you don't have a bit of respite and a bit of a breather, I can't imagine that it's too good for you psychologically. Uh, I imagine. I've been I've been in sets where I've seen James McAvoy at work, and he does seem able to just switch off, and he's just like the normal guy in between. Yeah. So that that must be very very useful, I guess. Yeah, but also like it's just it's you know at the end of the day, we obviously love movies, and they're so important yeah. and they're so incredible. But if you're not having fun, like you know, it's it's nice to go on set and know that you're doing something that you love so much in the entire world. It's like more than anything in the entire world, and then you get to have fun with people that feel similarly to you. Like James yeah. is the biggest prankster ever because you have to have fun on these sets, otherwise you're not going to make it through. 
Uh, what sort of pranks has he pulled in the set of split? He made me out of Cheetos once, which was really interesting and weird. I walked into my I walked into my uh, trailer and there was just like my headshot and then he'd like stolen clothes from costume and stuffed it all with Cheetos because I eat a lot of Cheetos. Um, <laughs> okay, and he'd like yeah, made eyebrows yeah. and the whole thing and I was just like, oh, there's somebody in my trailer. And then I realized it was like snacks. So it was fine. <laughs> so it was inadvertently very kind. He bought me my favorite snacks. Oh, that's good. So you, you ate yourself and you ate your well, body I, weight I, Cheetos. Well, I, I like yeah. created it to not look like myself anymore and then eventually probably made it through the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was going to get in one go. That would have been terrible. He yeah. watched me call the set with Cheetah was all over the place. I'm just like, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready, Knight. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, what was the, uh, the M. Night Shyamalan experience like for you? Incredible. First time around. I'll ask him, you know, the second time as well, which I'm sure you can't say anything about. Um, <laughs> I'm not even opening my mouth. Uh, the first time around, it was unbelievable. I was obviously like a really big fan of his, but yes. when you're going to do or at least this is how my brain works when I have to go and do something. I can't be thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm working with somebody that's so illustrious and incredible. I just have to focus on the job that I'm doing and, and delivering for him. And I think his specificity is something that I really enjoy because I don't like actor kitty gloves. I, I like to continuously be pushed and to and to elevate myself and, and to feel like I'm part of a team um, where everyone's elevating each other. And he he changed the way I acted forever. You know, he, he made me very um, okay. cognizant of craft in a way that I hadn't been before because I didn't train and I was just very sort of instinctual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm still mostly instinctual, but he taught me to act from a place of empathy. And that's opened me up in such a different way to all of my different characters because hopefully they all feel more specific and uh -huh. belonging to themselves rather than it being myself imposed yeah. on them. Does that make sense? Oh, of course it does. Yeah. But you don't want to redo. You don't want to go back and redo all the films that you shot before well, Split. I mean, <laughs> well, luckily Split was only my third one. And I yeah. think with, um, with The Witch, uh, that... Robert and I talk about this a lot, actually, because I, I didn't even know what a mark was. You know, like I was I was just like, what what is this world? What's going on? And I think Thomason's um, in a very strange, you know, convoluted way. She's the closest to me because that was it was a performance, but it was also just me at 18 mm. entering into a world, you know, that mm. I'd never really experienced before. And so. From that moment on, I think all of my characters have felt incredibly specific because it was only after Thomason that I actually realized that they were real people to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that prior. So uh, so you, you had your eyes opened by, by night. Did you then go on to... Did you study with other different acting tutors? Did you take classes in a weird way? Or I worked. was it very much... Just because <laughs> it's, it's the thing about you, you have been working pretty much nonstop, I would say. Yeah, it's been... Um, it's it's I never set out to to not have any time off. It just so happens that the that the, that the characters that, and the scripts that really called me, they just happen to be one after the other. And so uh -huh. I've been working back to back literally with like maybe two, three days or a press tour in between for the last four years. Oh, my God. Um, which is which is unbelievable. But it's also an incredible way to learn because I can very much see myself change and be like, ah, oh, and that's when I realized that this worked for me or like this was my into this character. And um, wow. even even though they've all been in very dark worlds, I do see them as all very different people. And my in to every one of them was very different. So it just feels like I've been kind of on like a acting masterclass, like roll on <laughs> for like four years. <laughs> Where I'm just like, what am I doing today? Okay, I guess I'm going to try this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did the Shyamalan take to teach you on, on Glass? 
I mean, it was just so cool. Like, as a, as a film nerd, you know, I, I'm there and I'm just like, what? This is crazy. Um, it, it was it was so exciting to be part of a vision that the man has had for 17 years. And when he first told me that it was happening, I didn't think I was going. Like, I didn't think <laughs> I, I didn't think I was continuing on. And so I, you know, I sort of said to him. Oh, you know, you have to let me come onto set. Like, it's just so exciting. And he's like, what makes you think you're not coming along too? Like, you're very much in the story. And it was so exciting to be around people that I admired so much. But I also knew that they were aware of how special this situation was and kind of what a responsibility we had and, and that we were in a very unique position making this movie. You know, I don't think of many films if any, that were part of a secret trilogy that nobody knew of <laughs> for 17 years. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't really think that that's a thing. Um, it's, a, it's a night thing, clearly. But uh, it, yeah, it was, just, it was just really exciting. And getting to play Casey again as well, you know, again, because they're real for me, yeah. it's, it's going back to a friend. It, it's yeah. getting the opportunity to be with somebody that you really cared about and who's also, you know, inextricably tied to my life. You said that it is a secret trilogy. And I have to confess... I'm, I'm quite a stable guy. I, I keep my emotions pretty much, I'm, you know, tuckered down. But when I saw Bruce Willis at the end of Split, I think I lost my shit. And <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think it's come back. Uh, Good. I, think I think part of me is wait still out there. Us. <laughs> <laughs> Just you wait, man. When did it's gonna you be good. Know? Oh my god, my god, I cannot wait. Uh, <laughs> when did you know that you were part of an Unbreakable sequel? Because I think speaking to James McAvoy, he didn't hugely no right away it wasn't in the script that, none of us did that okay yeah. like i mean but but that's that's the magic of night you know like he's it, the secret the the secrecy of everything is so intense that it actually makes you i don't know like sometimes when i first read the glass script i remember i was in a hotel in new york and i i just got a knock on my door and like this giant bouncer with like this <laughs> manila envelope just kind of like gave it to me and I signed this thing and I was like I don't know if I'm part of like a secret service operation I have no idea what's going on and then I saw it was a script and I was like ah oh, right yeah okay this makes sense um yeah. but no I, I didn't know until uh Knight and I became very good friends and I wanted to go with him to see um uh I can't remember what it's called I think it's like um test screening or something that yes. they do in, in, yes. in middle America and yeah. no one really knows, you know, what they're going in to see. And it was whilst they were, um, once we had finished the movie that he let me know. And so he let me know in a, in a Arizona car park. <laughs> and I think I screamed as loudly as you did. And I think I lost the equal amount of shit. So okay. there you go. Okay. That's good. That's good. So you were a fan of Unbreakable. You go yes. into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was. It, yeah. I, I've been waiting for the sequel to this movie for a very, very long time. So no pressure on you. None. Come on. None. None taken. Yeah. Have you seen anything from Glass yet? Has Knight shown you anything? Um, I, I really want to direct one day. And uh-huh. so Knight's been incredible on any day that I wasn't working. I would just get to sit behind him and, and watch him work. And, and see wow. all of that and that's uh that's it's so much fun and I, I really really like I'm so grateful to the to the fact that he lets me do that and he you know answers all of my questions and he you know gets my input on on certain things it's it's just so exciting but yeah I've seen some of it and it looks incredible <laughs> I promise I won't pry because I, I think that massive bouncer with the, the giant yeah, envelope he'll come after will me. turn up and this is a glass room so he'll just come straight through it <laughs> so uh, speaking of scripts that I imagine came to you in a manila, manila envelope with a giant goon attached <laughs> uh, <laughs> the new mutants is yes. another one that's coming out and obviously that's had some issues in terms of the release date and things being pushed back and reports of new reshoots and which is 
seems pretty much part of the course for movies like this. But from the inside looking out, what's what's your what's your take on that? I had a very being perfectly honest. No one ever told me that if I made movies back to back, I'd have to do promotion back to back, which sounds really, you know, like you you just sort of assume that's what's going to happen. I never thought about it. So yeah. um, I was. Uh, personally, I was a little bit relieved that I wouldn't be doing the Thoroughbred Press Tour and then straight into the X-Men one because I think yes. it's important with a smaller movie, you really have to be behind it and nothing's really bigger than you yes. know these superhero films. And, yeah, and I didn't want this film that was so close to my heart to be swallowed up. Um, and then the other side of things is there is such a responsibility to the fans to get this right and I'd never worked on a film before where we already had our release date before the first day that we started filming. You know, like that, that's just so wild to me. And I, and I think it was, it's really important for all of us. And, you know, the, the, the cast, the, the producing side, everybody, we all just want to get it right. Mm. And if that means that it takes a bit more time, it might be a bit disappointing for the fans because, you know, it's not going to come out as early as they would like, would like it to, but we're going to deliver you with a better movie. That's so that's wait. the right thing to do. <laughs> Display yeah. patience. Exactly. A, yeah. We're yeah. going to, we're going to make a really boss ass movie. So that's exciting. And uh, what's next for you? What, what's, what's, what's on the ever constantly unfolding list of films that you are, uh, you're working on? Um, I have, uh, well, I've been working on a movie called radioactive with Rosamund Pike, uh, which has been incredible. I love it so much. It's a, um, time period that I've never done before okay. and that's always you know fascinating because you suddenly look around and you're like oh my goodness I'm in World War One like <laughs> what what um and it's my first female director as well Marjan Satrapi oh, and she's okay. unbelievable and such a force of nature so I've been having a really good time uh doing that and yeah just working on a couple of other things that I cannot say anything about uh, because again the man with the manila envelope uh, okay. come. <laughs> you'll come crashing through disgraceful disgraceful <laughs> I'm sorry but you say you're going to direct is that something that you is that five, five years down the line ten years down the line is that even closer I mean I think um, I've, I've always been very creative in lots of different aspects and I've always mm. wanted to have an opportunity to have these different you know um, creative outlets right now acting is taking up a, all of my time yeah. um, but I'm definitely I've always got an eye open um, but I, I don't want to direct just for the sake of directing I want to direct something that would you know make me that I felt I was right for that I had the same sort of instinctual feeling for when I'm acting in something and I think I'm just lucky that the directors that I've worked with are people that you know, let me hang around on set and let me ask questions and let me hang out with different departments and, and, and talk oh, really? to okay. me. Yeah, yeah. And talk to me in a way that, you know, hopefully is, is broadening my brain to, to include all of, um, all of what encompasses filmmaking and not just, uh, the acting side. So if you were to take aspects from the directors you work with, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Finley on the uh, thoroughbreds, what would you take from him? What, what have you gleaned? Oh, the way he talks to his actors. He's just so, I think it comes from his theater background. Okay. He's so, oh, it's, a, it's a nice way. It's not like, Oh, get no, over here. No, no, no. Act, he's act the, now. No, he's the most gentle, like he really respects the fact that you have a personal connection to this character and okay. you know, he can't just be like, do it a different way. He'll like, <laughs> he'll take you around to a corner and speak to you in a very soft voice and be like, so how do we feel? Like, where is Lily right now? Where's your spectrum? Talk to me about That's your, you know, talk to me about your, your, yeah, your yeah, thought yeah. process and guide you very gently down, you know, so, so that you're still in the same tone yes. whilst allowing you to have, um, 
ownership of the character and, wow, and okay. be in their skin, um, which I, I think is, is lovely. And it's also kind of, you would think he was a lot older, but he was 27 when we were doing it. And he just had such an understanding of, of everybody's emotions on that set, which was lovely. So you can, he conceived of this initially as a play. Yes. Uh, would you do it as a play? I mean, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to do theatre. I think it'd be a bit strange for me to to portray Lily again mm-hmm. in a in a stage adaptation. I think <laughs> <laughs> my lady's yep. um, a little intense, uh, but uh, every night, do it every, every night, every night for three months, exactly. Um, but no, but I think it would be fascinating. What's really interesting about it is that even though it was originally conceived as a play, it's very cinematic. And I think that's why Corey didn't set out to make it into a movie script. He just says that he had so many images that came around and he needed the world to be more expansive. And I think as a play, it was originally literally just the two of us on a couch having a philosophical discussion about morality and good and evil and all of this different stuff. And, and then when you see it in, in the movie, you understand why it needed more space to breathe. Mm. Split. Split could be a good play as well. Split could be a very interesting yeah. play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of it does take place in that one room. Yeah, so, it does. I mean, I think it would be a Maybe very different, I think it would be a very different performance because the camera allows you an intimacy that, you know, you can quiver your left eyeball and they will notice and they will see that you know you've shot a look at something whilst I'm assuming I haven't done any theatre yet unfortunately but I'm assuming that quivering your left eyeball would not cut it Oh, um, just, you know, the these people like in row one exactly row one would get it they get but it but then they'd have to like Chinese they whisper know. it all the way like put back yeah it's like my way she just, she just rolled her left eyebrow <laughs> Uh, in, in the interval, like, did you see that? And it's like, no, I didn't. I paid, <laughs> no, man. I paid 10 quid for my tickets. But no, but I, I think it could be quite fun. It would, just, it would just be a very different experience and a very different performance. All right. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to make it uh, this law now. So I'm going to tweet that you are now going to star in okay. the theatrical version of Split. <laughs> Get on tonight and make it happen. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll All do right. my best. Fantastic. Oh, and just uh, one last thing as well. Um, I obviously you were at the Empire Awards recently, mm-hmm. and you presented to Hugh Jackman. I did. How was that experience for you? It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that I started way too early and then did like a a kind of dance. Yeah, I did notice that down yeah. down the aisle. Yeah. Well, yeah, you called me out on it. <laughs> that is true. Um, but it, it was. I was really excited. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Hughes, uh, and especially, you know, having recently seen him in Logan, I was just like, oh my God, so good. <laughs> um, so it was, it was quite a, a surreal moment being on a stage in like a sparkly green dress and watching Hugh Jackman bound up the stairs to, to come and greet you with a hug and a kiss. I was just like, okay, <laughs> life goal completed. But no, he's so lovely. And the fact that he brought his wife up on stage yes. with him with FaceTime, if yes. he didn't already have everybody's heart, like <laughs> the man does now. So... <laughs> Did it feel like there was a passing of the torch from X-Men, X-Men past to X-Men future? Was it? Um, I think we had a, we had a nice conversation um, backstage, but it wasn't actually about X-Men. It was about Thoroughbreds because um, he'd seen the ah, movie and, and he loved it. Really? Okay. And so that was also a bit of a surreal moment because the first thing that Hugh Jackman said to me was, I love you in Thoroughbreds. And I'm just like, no, no, this is not how the script goes. I say that to you about your movies. This is not real life. Um, but no, he was so lovely and, and generous and sweet and it was it was a real pleasure i find it shocking that you just you guys when you're offset just don't talk about x-men all the time <laughs> like just constantly at lunch x-men 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 yeah i mean i think i'm i am very excited uh to 
to share this character with with the world because um Ileana's I've played a, a lot of very interesting ladies but she's definitely the sassiest um and that's uh <laughs> that's that's re- been really good fun and you know the russian accent is also fun to do so like oh, that's yeah. Chill. yeah 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 <laughs> was that one that you just went done got it I listened to a lot of uh russian um radio okay. which helped um, just with, in terms of the phonetics, um, what like uh, like a Russian Radio One? So they'd be going to all the pop hits, and they'd no, be going no, no. to the weather guy. So there's or... this app called Radio with like okay. a ton of um, like I think there's zeros or there O's. Can't tell. Um, <laughs> but you can put in any country around the world, and they'll just play different radio stations from there. Right. And so I just I mostly I think I must have been podcasts because they were just people speaking Russian the whole time. Who I didn't understand a single word to a podcast. But, you know, there you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I look forward to hearing that. Fantastic. And now, Anya, I will let you go. Oh, okay. Thank it has you. been a pleasure. Thank you very much, <laughs> Anya Taylor-Joy. Thank you. Okay, so that was Anya Taylor-Joy, star of Thoroughbreds. And uh, Ben, tell us about Thoroughbreds. What did you think of Thoroughbreds? Did you like Thoroughbreds? What's Thoroughbreds about? How long is it? Tell me all the good stuff. Uh, I liked Thoroughbreds a lot. I thought it was um, really effective. It's It's quite cold and clinical but that really works for for the premise so basically you've got uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, plays Lily Olivia Cook plays Amanda they're these two teenage girls who hatch a murder plot basically against dun, dun, dun. evil stepdad mm-hmm. um, and yeah you're kind of it's, it's very taut it follows them as they kind of um, yeah hatch this plot and see if they can maybe get uh, Anton Yelchin's local drug dealer Tim involved this is a very kind of yeah, chilly, but uh, closed off emotionally uh, with these being kind of psychopathic characters who mm-hmm. aren't mm-hmm. necessarily feeling the uh, ramifications of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, kind of gets under your skin. I think for some people it will get under their skin. I think for others they might find it a bit too distant. It has quite a, a mannered and detached air to it, kind of in keeping with the characters. Did you feel it was black and comedic? Uh, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's got a really kind of strong undercurrent yeah. of like dark humour coming through. Yeah. But also it's got it's got really jagged edges. It's, it's, yeah. I think people might be quite surprised at some of the nastiness involved. <laughs> um, but I, I think the, the uh, lead pair are both amazing. Like Anya Taylor-Joy, she is like, she's like a 21st century scream queen. She's doing amazing stuff in, in horror and thriller at the moment. Um, and she absolutely follows that on here. And obviously Olivia Cook we've most recently seen in Ready Player One. And she's such a like lovable character in that um, as, as Samantha um, and she's kind of a really joyous kind of personality in that and in this yeah you're not going to warm to her quite you think so she's much. joyous and uh, I think I, I always see her as quite I, yeah I see her as well, quite deadpan in a lot of movies quite reserved she, she's deadpan and I think that fits really nicely with, with thoroughbreds I think with um with Ready Player One, it's the earnestness that comes yeah. through um, whereas in this it is the opposite it's the, it's the cold it's the clinical yeah um, but yeah, if you if you like previous things that either of those two have done, obviously as well, this is pretty much um, Anton Yelchin's final screen performance, which is it's really sad. I kind of hadn't really clocked that while I was watching it, and then it hit me afterwards that like, oh, that is pretty much the last time we're going to see him, which is obviously um, massively sad. He's an amazing talent, yeah. and um, he's not got a star billing here, but um, but he kind of really brings a lot to that character. So, uh, but yeah, it's a thumbs up for me for, for Thoroughbreds, and I think we gave that four stars. Four stars in for Thoroughbreds, and let's come now to A Quiet Place. I absolutely adored this movie. It blew me away, uh, completely surprised me. This is the third movie as a director of John Krasinski, who of course is best known as Jim from The Office, the American version of The Office. And if you'd said to me that Jim from The Office 
has directed an all-time horror classic, I would have gone, you are nuts. No. No. He's too nice for that, right? Stop saying foolish things. Jim from The Office is a lovely guy. He has a great line in looking at the camera. Uh, but no, of course he doesn't have a great horror film in him. And yet I would be forced to eat those words. This is an incredible film. It is a very, very high concept. Very, very simple premise. Uh, it is in the middle of a post-apocalyptic situation. Something bad has happened to the world. i got to tiptoe around spoilers a little bit. But it has been ravaged by things, shall we say, that can hunt people based on sound. So we pick up with our heroes who are a family of survivors in a small American town. They live in a farmhouse and they have survived deep into this post-apocalyptic situation. They are prepared in ways that perhaps the rest of the world were not. Uh, the family have a young daughter. She is deaf, played by Millicent Simmons. And so they're very, they're adept at sign language. That helps when they need to leave. They can't speak, so that helps. The father, played by John Krasinski, is very adept at survival situations and he makes sure that everything is tickety-boo and they, they, they load the house so that they can make as little sound as possible lest they attract the attention of one of these things. And one time. Then it's good night, Vienna. Uh, this is uh, so it's John Krasinski and uh, Emily Blunt. It's real life life, of course. That's the father. And this is uh, for me, honestly. I think this is an extraordinary film. It is incredibly tense from frame one. He's really great, Krasinski, at elegantly setting up the premise, elegantly setting up the idea that noise is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, he directs this film really, really elegantly. Uh, there are lots of extraordinarily tense sequences right from the off, as Alan Partridge might say, right away he's got you by the Javas. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't let up for 90 minutes. And I do wonder, the 90 minutes is a perfect length for this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, we root for these characters. We, you know, this uh, wonderful masterclass as well in economy of character and economy of storytelling because they can't speak. They do speak at times, and I won't reveal how or why or when or where, but they do. But when they can't, they have to express everything else through their body language and through their eyes. And uh, you get to know these characters very, very quickly. You get to root for them very, very quickly. And then he uh, turns the screw on them bit by bit by bit as you make noise as you do in real life and then you might attract the attention of these beasties and these beasties are all time great screen nasty, beasts properly nasty. very properly nasty and the situations in which this family find themselves are feel very real and very very relatable and uh, I watched it with my wife drinking game and she doesn't like horror films and I didn't tell her that it was a horror film. I told her that there was some sort of survival type mm -hmm. thing going on. Are you in a lot of shit now? No, she loved it. Did she? Okay, Absolutely loved it. But, you know, we were both holding on to each other the mm -hmm. whole way through, like our hands just digging into the other's flesh. Uh, which, not, in a, not in a kinky sex way. Again, I have to, <laughs> I have to stress that. To kinky sex. It, well, we weren't doing Hellraiser sort of cosplay. It wasn't anything like that. But... Uh, we, we just absolutely loved it. We were gripped by it all the way through. I think this is a brilliant, brilliant film. Uh, I'm a big horror nut, uh, and John Krasinski is not. And I wonder if maybe that brought a freshness to it in terms of the in terms of the orchestration of the jump scares and in terms of the orchestration of the characters as well. Um, for me, this is hands down my film of the year wow. thus far. Big claim. Big claim. 
in a in a year in which uh, there's an Adam Sandler film just about to drop <laughs> any second now on Netflix, I believe. So that, that could overtake it. You never know. never know. But I think this is absolutely fantastic. We gave it four stars, but mm-hmm. I would absolutely give it. I would garland it with that extra fifth, that red star. Do you know? I'm I'm feeling already echoes of of Get Out, where you've got this uh, this guy who's predominantly known for TV comedy making mm-hmm. a move in behind the camera into uh, in like visionary horror directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, four stars in the mag, but lots of personal five stars <laughs> around the office. Possible best film at the end of the year. You I never don't, know in the Empire rankings. I don't think so. I don't. I, mm-hmm. I think this is. I don't think this has the thematic weight of Get Out. This mm-hmm. is much more of a streamlined survival story. But it's beautifully directed, beautifully acted. Krasinski and Blunt and Jupe and um, Simmons are just phenomenal in this film. And honestly, you know, we you know although the Oscars isn't about. Really, ultimately, it isn't about which is the best film that mm-hmm. year. Then Thor The Dark World would have romped home. <laughs> but it's a film I would love to see stick around. Mm-hmm. Genuinely would love to see stick around. I, you know, Get Out may have knocked down certain doors in terms of genre film being taken seriously. But we know that's not going to happen. Uh, so four stars, but hey, hey, what? You know, stick a fifth on. Go on, just for me, just for old Uncle Chris. Stick a fifth star on for A Quiet Place. And uh, so that is the that is this week's horror film starring Jim from The Office, which brings us very nicely to this week's horror film starring Tim from The Office. He yeah. said, glancing at the camera and then glancing back again. It's Ghost Stories. It is indeed Ghost Stories, which is... Um uh, an adaptation of a play that came out in 2010 by uh, Andy Neumann and Jeremy Dyson. They've adapted their own play uh, for the big screen. Uh, and this is a British horror film. As is well, uh, the second Ron Seal title of the week between this and we're, we're going to come to the Hurricane Heist. Uh, but this <laughs> is about ghost stories. There are three stories um, kind of told through the film. So you've got one is um, about... a. Uh, a night watchman played by uh, Paul Whitehouse who is thoroughly creeped out when he's uh, pulling a, sh- a shift in an old factory overnight and starts to see all kinds of spooky things going on. Uh, then you've got a teenager whose car is broken down and they are uh, kind of stranded in the middle of nowhere overnight and uh, he's played by Alex Lawther, who uh, you probably know from Black Mirror uh, and also The End of the Fucking World, which was on Channel Whoa, 4 Netflix. come on, Whoa. Ben. Come on, Ben. Sorry, Mum, that is literally the name of the show. <sighs> That's not me. I'm mild-mannered with my language. So, yeah, that's the second thread. The third thread is, as you've alluded to, uh, Martin Freeman, uh, who gets kind of headline billing here. Uh, and he is a businessman who's kind of very nervously awaiting the birth of his child. So there's a real emphasis here on the craft of horror filmmaking. And mm. if you really like dig that kind of thing... yeah you're going to really like this because it's all about the tension and the setup and all yeah. these tiny things that you can do to, to create that atmosphere. They used a lot of practical effects and it feels real and scary. And yeah, it, it kind of, it gets you in a way that a lot of um, modern horrors, like I do think that there are some really, really good horror directors out there at the moment who can create the tension really well. But then when it comes on paying off the scares, if it's like something a bit too CGI'd or something a bit, kind of that feels jarring with that practical filmmaking mm-hmm. it takes you out of it whereas this yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is, is practical and real all the way this is terrific isn't it I mean it's 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 two guys who know horror films inside out unlike John Krasinski mm-hmm. but they have taken that and they've, they've 
brought all that to bear and they also brought with it a bit of refreshness because they do like to subvert things. And this is very much inspired, I think, by the great portmanteau horror movies that, that Hammer and Amicus used to do in the 1960s and 1970s. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to go back, of course, The Dead of Night, a great portmanteau piece as well. And it's just absolutely terrific. And it's a very, very different beast uh, than uh, A Quiet Place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is, you know, this is very much old school. This Strap yourself in. This is a roller coaster ride. Lots of things are going to go boo mm-hmm. straight at the camera. Lots of things are going to change. You're going to get freaked out quite a lot. It's perhaps less of an organic experience, scare-wise, than, than, a, go- than a quiet place, a ghost place and a quiet story. <laughs> uh, but well worth your time as well, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was, this was four stars from us. And um, yeah, if, if you like... Um, like occult horror really freaks me out. So anything like folklore or ghosty or spirity, yeah. um, that kind of gets to me more than other horror does. Um, so this has kind of definitely stayed with me for a bit. And um, and as well, Yorkshire. Who knew Yorkshire could be a breeding ground for for terrifying, terrifying happenings? Look to camera. I don't know what to do. We can do that. There's an obvious, there's an obvious punchline, but I'm so scared of it. I mean, the obvious punchline, oh, Ben. Yes. Anyone who's been to Yorkshire, but I'm scared of that punchline, Ben. <laughs> Should we so avoid I, the punchline? That's avoid the punchline. Okay. So four stars then for Ghost Stories, and that brings us very, very quickly on. I mean, there's so many films we're going to, have to round them up really, really quickly at the end, but uh, very, very quickly on the Hurricane Heist or the Hurricane Heist, the Hurricane, the Sorry. Hurricane Heist, Lee the Hurricane Heist. Hurricane Heist. Yes, don't uh, confuse it, because <laughs> Hurricane Heist is what the fourth in the franchise will be called. The next one's going to be called Two Heist, Two Hurricane. Yep. Then it's going to be Hurricane Heist. Yorkshire Drift. Yorkshire Drift. <laughs> <laughs> Hurricane 5, Heist 6. All the, <laughs> yeah, there, there yeah. is franchise potential here. So this is... This is um, and the reason we say that, of course, is because this is directed by... Rob Cohen. Who directed... Who, the Fast and the Furious and the original Triple X as well. The, uh, the man behind Vin Diesel's continued... Like vanity projects, and but despite that, mm-hmm. this is a film that is worth your attention. Yeah, so this is right. This is firmly for if you like the sound of a film called The Hurricane Heist, which is about people <laughs> trying to do a heist while there is also a big old hurricane. Then you're probably going to quite enjoy this film. It, like it knows how right. stupid it is, but compared to um, some like of those really really jokey films like Sharknado, where it's like it's it's really slapdash in the way it's made mm-hmm. this is actually it surprised me in that there is a lot of physical and practical stuff going on so uh you've got two brothers with amazing names willie and breeze who as kids see their dad crushed in a hurricane uh by a giant rolling uh water tower and they both grow up kind of traumatized by this one of them uh <laughs> is then when we flash forward a like a hard drinking ex-marine who's kind of done nothing with his life uh, that's Breeze and Willie has uh, devoted his life to kind of tracking down hurricanes and learning about weather systems they are in their hometown uh, where there is a US Federal Reserve a criminal gang led by Ralph Innocent so another another oh, office connection Ralph, this week Ralph Innocent um, he is the leader of the gang uh, and he finds his, his plans thwarted by oh. Maggie, Maggie Grace playing another amazing name, Agent Casey Corbin. Uh, so if you like the sound of that, like, ridiculous names, stupid setup, uh, but the the execution, for a lot of it, was actually quite good. I was impressed at how practical it was. It steers away from kind of delivering 
big CGI hurricane set pieces because it doesn't really have the means to do that. So instead, it's like people being absolutely battered non-stop by like wind and rain. This must have been a miserable film to make because right. you've got uh, Toby Kebble, you've got Ryan Quanten uh, and Maggie Grace. They are, they are like rained on for the entire film. There's a really weird scene where like Maggie Grace and Toby Kebble like bond over like taking a piss together, which is really strange. Okay. So if you like the sound of that, the other thing... Uh, that's great about it the final chase sequence there is a big old like 15-20 minute chase sequence at the end that again very physical very practical you've got a real good sense of what's going on and it does come close towards um, the level of some of the later fast films so there is potential here it feels like Rob Cohen kind of he obviously got to create the Fast and the Furious and then never got to have fun with all the big craziness of everything from Fast Five onwards Mm. this is his chance to do something a bit like that it's not quite up there with some of the like enjoyably ridiculous fast stuff for me but if again if you like the sound of a film called the hurricane heist you're probably gonna have a good time james is a bit of a rob cohen fan aren't you james you you think that and i can't even begin begin to believe this you begin you think that the first fast and furious movie is the best fast and furious movie yes yes indeed uh i firmly believe the fast and the furious is the pinnacle of that particular That is franchise. pure madness. No, it's no. Not even the best film with that entire That is part. 100% break. pure adrenaline, I think you'll find. <laughs> because it is, in fact, point break with cars, and it's genius. The fact that it's sort of transmogrified into something completely different is uh, interesting. Have you been but, supping uh, Nox? Have you been yeah, injecting yourself yeah. with a bit of not- nitrous oxide? Chris, been- I live my life a quarter mile at a time. What can I tell you? And I heard uh, it was more of a quarter of an inch at a time. Glad <laughs> <laughs> humour, hashtag uh, stag party, banter. hashtag bands. Um, yeah, no, I, I love Fast and Furious. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I stuck with it through Too Fast, Too Furious and Tokyo Drift, and then I walked away from the franchise and never looked back. Though I did return when it changed into the, you know, loony tune that it now is. And I do enjoy it on a different level, but I liked the Fast. When did you return? Uh, fast Five. So you walked away from one movie? Yes, which I've still never seen. I've never seen the cast. Half of them like walk away from one movie and then they're back. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I walked away and then you know family called me back. (laughs) (laughs) So open a Corona. I did. Yes, I put on a big old crucifix pendant and I walked back through that door. It's all about the family. Okay, so three stars then. Three stars, which as we always say on the podcast, is a recommendation for Hurricane Heist. Okay, also out this week, there are a whole bunch of films. By my reckoning, eight or nine wide releases. We can only talk about a few, sadly. Uh, there is 120 Beats Per Minute, which is a French drama directed by Robin Campillo. And that's about how the AIDS epidemic affected uh, gays in France in the 1990s. And that is, and according to our review, that is absolutely incredible. We gave that five stars. We also gave three stars to the new film from Todd Haynes, Wonderstruck, and four stars to Love, Simon, as well. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by those wonderful people at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined for a podcast death match by one of the toughest guys on the planet. At long, long last, Scott Adkins will be on the Empire Podcast. And just to prove that I survived that interview, we recorded it about four months ago before he went off to shoot his new movie. So uh, Scott Adkins from the past, the ghost of Scott Adkins' past, will be visiting the podcast next week. I'm very, very excited for you guys to hear that interview. It's a lot of fun. And if you're looking for more podcast fun, we do have two spoiler specials that'll be hitting your earwaves. We have a spoiler special for A Quiet Place with John Krasinski, taking us through that movie in forensic detail. And that'll be out on Monday, which is April the... What is it? What is it? 
April 9th? April 10th? April something like 9th. that? Yeah. April what? 9th. April 9th. Thanks, Ben. And then after that, we're going to have Ready Player One. We've held off that a little bit longer, but that's going to be up Monday or Tuesday or maybe Wednesday of next week with Ernest Klein as the interviewee and four giggling idiots talking about Steven Spielberg's latest movie. So that should be hopefully a lot of fun as well. So do keep them peeled for lows. Uh, until that auspicious occasion, of course, it is goodbye from James Dyer. It, it feels like you have flitted in at the last minute with, with a devil-may-care attitude and just really brought as little as humanly possible to this podcast. It feels almost as if I wasn't here for most of it. Um, we're keeping up with the uh, time-tested tradition uh, whereby I have seen none of the films, so it's not a huge loss. No, it is not. <laughs> it is not a huge loss, but anyway, I'm, I'm glad... Although to I really here. want to see lots of them. No, I, I'm glad that you're physically here. Uh, that's good. Thank um, you. It's better than when you're physically not here. <laughs> And it's goodbye, of course, from Ben Travis. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to see a quiet place again, and this time I'm going to bring some flumps. Ha ha. Didn't think of that, did you? Marshmallows, FTW. That means for the win. Uh, thanks very much for listening. See you next week. 